I've been waiting 23 years to say that. All right. Welcome to the FBI's Most Unwanted. I'm Matt. And Justin's not here today because I have a guest and we're going to be talking about the series at a uh, broader spectrum and Justin isn't caught up yet. So uh, we got to leave him out of this one. But my guest today is very awesome. I'm very glad he's joining me. He's a New York Times bestselling and five-time Bram Stoker award-winning author. He has written some of my favorite things in the world, including 11 Joe Ledger novels, four Rotten Ruin novel, uh, four novels in the Rotten Ruin series, three in his Dead of Night series, the Pine Deep trilogy. He has written a standalone thriller called Glimpse. He has a new novel coming later this year titled Ink. He has also been the editor on 13 different anthologies. I may be missing one or two. I, I did a quick count, but... Things you may recognize include Aliens, Bug Hunt, and four V-Wars books that spawned a TV show on Netflix. But more importantly, the reason he is on this show is he wrote a novel titled X-Files Origins, The Devil's Advocate. And he has also edited three separate X-Files anthologies, which we will dive into. I'm very happy to welcome to the show, Jonathan Mayberry. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, thanks for having me on. No, thanks. Thanks for being here. Like I said, I um, I've read almost all of your stuff at this point. I am just starting the Pine Deep trilogy. I'm about 200 pages deep into Ghost Road Blues right oh, now nice. and loving it very much. So, um, oh, well, actually, the book I have coming out in November, Ink, is a uh, is set in that town. It's, oh, excellent, it's excellent. Sixteen years later. It's how many years later? I'm sorry, I missed it. Sixteen years after that trilogy. Oh, okay. Well, by by November, I'll be done the trilogy. So I'm, I'll be look. I was looking forward to the book anyway, and now I'm going to look forward to it even more. Nice. So, um, well, uh, just diving right in into your history with the X Files. Were you into the X Files back when it was originally on TV? Back in like the heyday of the X Files, or did you come to it kind of later on? Or I I came to it at the second episode. Uh, oh, okay. I missed the, missed the pilot. And a friend, a friend of mine told me there's this great new show on. Um, and uh, he came over with a uh, videotape. He had, he had taped the first episode. Mm -hmm. We watched the second one, but, but then we watched the first of the pilot. And I was hooked, you know, that fast. I was hooked. It's everything that's me. It's weird science. It's, it's police procedure. It's creepy. Um, and mm -hmm. it, it also taps into folklore and urban legends. So, I mean, no show could have been better designed for an audience member like me. <laughs> I agree, and actually, I can um, I can see a lot of that in the in the work you write now, especially when you're talking about you know weird science and folklore and urban legends and stuff like that. Because um, your intro to Ghost Road Blues, I'm reading a, a, an anniversary edition, and you put in a foreword like I wanted to write a, a novel about these things from folklore that were actually based on the folklore, not on like the Hollywood version. So, uh, well, I mean, you figure I, I had started. My whole fiction career started because I'd written a book on folklore, a nonfiction book on folklore. Mm -hmm. The only thing I'd written under a pen name uh, was The Vampire Slayer's Field Guide to the Undead by Shane MacDougall. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I used the pen name, by the way, is my, uh, uh, I had been writing nonfiction for years, including a number of martial arts books. I'm a martial arts uh, master instructor. And my editor of martial arts books was afraid that my readers would think I'd go a little loopy if I suddenly start writing about <laughs> vampires and werewolves. Turns out that that nonfiction, uh, th that book on folklore outsold my martial arts books like 30 to one. Ooh. So I was off and running and then I went from there into fiction. So folklore has always been a passion of mine and and also urban legends, always been a passion mm -hmm. of mine since I was a kid. So um, you became a passionate uh, watcher of the show. Um, what uh, what besides all that kind of weird science was your favorite aspect? Uh, my my 
my friend Justin, who usually does this show with me, he somehow missed the X-Files entirely. So uh, regular listeners know that part of this show is I'm revisiting it for who knows how many times at this point, and he is discovering it for the first time. And so I'm, I always like hearing what he is enjoying because he's a horror person and, you know, urban legend, sci-fi guy, kind of like you, but I'm also seeing uh, a lot of enjoyment out of things he's discovering along the way in terms of how the characters relate to each other and whatnot. So. Yeah. Well, the things that that grabbed me about it, I mean, um, I love conspiracy theory fiction. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not that big into conspiracy theories in real life, but sure. in fiction, I absolutely love them. I've written quite a bit about them in, in uh, fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a big part of it. I, so I love, I love the underlying conspiracy that, 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 that the whole show was built on. Plus, I love the, the single episodes where they would just go and do a, you know, a monster of the week. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of my favorite episodes are the ones where they're in isolation, uh, Darkness Falls, Ice, mm-hmm. you know, ones where they're completely alone, Dead Calm, where they're completely alone. Yep. And um, you know, those, of course, I mean, like like Ice is, is a nod to the thing by um, John Carpenter. Yes. Um, and, and that's fine because I, I it was not intended to say, oh, look, we come up with something original. It was a direct homage. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love that sort of thing because it, it 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 starts conversations that makes viewers of the show go back and watch some of the source material, the inspiration material. Sure. Yep. That makes but, sense. You know, they also put new tweaks on things. I mean, at first I was pissed off that, that their version of the Jersey Devil had no bearing with the Jersey <laughs> Devil legend. Yeah. Because I'm from Philly and I spent a lot of time in Jersey and that isn't the legend. But at the same time, it's fiction TV. They're allowed to do that. And once I got over, you know, my, my fan outrage at them mm-hmm. not doing it, you know, the way I think they should do it, I started really, really getting into how they are doing it. And And the show also brought up some things that, really hadn't been in the public conversation like Project Paperclip and, and uh, mm-hmm. um, some of the other other uh, parts of the conspiracies and also the real histories. And it gave me a lot of opportunity to go and, and do further research after an episode. I'd, I'd, I'd jump on the net, well, whatever passed for the net back then. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, do some research or go to a library and get some books. So the, the show had a lot to offer for guys like me. I mean, yep. And I, now, I still rewatch it and, and find some, some fun stuff in there. Yeah. And one of the things uh, that we kind of uh, mentioned in passing as we were sort of emailing back and forth is you, you mentioned and your, your novel is about, so I suppose we can start talking about this, is your favorite character on the show uh, seems to be Scully, uh, yep. which I actually can see... Um, especially in your Joe Ledger series where you take inspiration from like, here's this really weird thing, but what is the most rational explanation I can come up with for this really weird thing? And um, I'll take, for example, your, your version of vampires as like these underground mutants that are these just like genetic anomalies that (laughs) spawned all the other legends. So Uh, well, that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I fall. I, I keep an open mind. My grandmother, who was, if you can imagine the, the character Luna Lovegood from the Harry Potter books. Uh-huh. Luna, yep. like, imagine her as an old lady. That's my grandmother. <laughs> okay. She, I like she, your grandmother she, already. <laughs> she, she's, she could be Fox Mulder's grandmother because she believed in everything, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, uh, along with those beliefs, she was always looking into, well, you know, that's the belief, that's the folklore, that's the legend how did it start? So she read a lot of anthropology and, and uh, a lot of uh, novels about uh, cultural development and so on, a lot of nonfiction books about it. So I kind of am both the believer and the skeptic. I, I walk the middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like outrageous uh, comments about things. Like, for example, if, if me and, the, and, and another person are watching um, the skies and we both see a strange light go by, mm-hmm. I'll see it as a UFO, a literal unidentified flying object. Right. It, Somebody else would say, okay, that's from this planet and here's their agenda and they've been on Earth for all the time. <laughs> yes. And it's like, you don't know that. You yep. know? Um, so it's not that I don't believe in the potential for things like alien life. I, you know, it, statistically, it's, it's almost impossible not to believe in it. But I right. don't, you know, I don't leap to grandiose thoughts on it. So uh, I, I like the, the reality check that Scully gives quite often, even mm-hmm. though it shows she's almost always wrong. Right. And that's, that's something we've discussed on this show is, is it does reach a point in the series where it gets 
almost a little bit silly that Scully is like, okay, um, it's definitely not this thing when the, the greatest fault of the show, except for maybe in one or two occasions, in my opinion, is that Mulder's just always right on, based on very little, except for the fact that this is the theory he comes up with and it turns out to be right. And yeah. from a writing standpoint, it has to be that way because that's what the show is about. But it, it does reach a point in the series where it's almost frustrating because it's like, okay, Scully is here to offer this, this counterpoint, but she's not really offering a, vi a viable counterpoint because we yeah. all know she's wrong. <laughs> Especially after all the times that she's been proven, that Mulder's been proven right. You know, mm -hmm. she still has that default. And then of course, later in the season, in the series, she does become a believer. Yes, um, yeah. We yeah. just uh, covered on this show, uh, One Breath, where Scully oh, yeah. comes back from being abducted and how that literally changes the entire course of the show to be more focused on how these events do affect Scully because in a way Mulder is not a character that changes a whole I mean he changes a little bit but he doesn't change a whole lot versus yeah. the ways in which Scully changes yeah Mulder drank the Kool-Aid and continues drinking the Kool-Aid <laughs> and he's fine with the taste of it so yeah um, but yeah, and One Breath is one of my favorite episodes too, because that's, that was influential on my, on my book. Yes. Um, and I was, I was thinking about that, uh, while I was watching it, uh, specifically because, uh, One Breath and then, um, oh God, the title of the episode is escaping me, but the one where Bill, Sc uh, Bill Scully actually dies. Um, yeah. um and Beyond the Sea. Beyond the Sea. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I knew, and which is another uh, good one about Scully's relationship to her dad, which is kind of a part of your book. And um, the thing when I was going, I had kind of passed on uh, Devil's Advocate and I'm uh, the other one I haven't read Agent, yet. The, Agent of Chaos. Agent of Chaos, which is oh, the Mulder one. Because it just kind of as a rule, I'm not like a, a big fan of let's look at these characters when they are children or teenagers or whatever stories. But I was like, well, you know, Jonathan, great writer. He, I've, you know, he knows the series. He's edited these. I had already read the, the three anthologies. I'm like, I'll dive in. I'll see what I, and I shouldn't have been skeptical of it at all because you managed to weave in so much of who Scully will become, but also tell a really great story that um, shows why she wouldn't believe in these, you know, where she starts as like, oh, you know, kind of like almost a Melissa type, per you know, she's almost at Melissa's level to start with. And then all the things in the novel happen to her and she becomes the Dana that we meet later on. Yeah, and that's that's something that that I mean they allude to the fact that that she had psychic abilities at times. I mean, mm -hmm. in Beyond the Sea, she sees her father. She talks to her dead sister on the phone at one point. Mm -hmm. I mean, she has psychic abilities, but they've been repressed, and they never explain why they're repressed, and they never explain why she thereafter doesn't believe in them. So, mm -hmm. what made her lose her faith in her own psychic abilities, right. and did that then shut down shut that down a, a bit? So when I was doing the research for the uh, for Devil's Advocate, you know, I wanted to to make sure that it was isn't just a Scooby Doo version of you know of Scully. This is sure. a, I, I'm not into that kind of uh, stuff. I wanted the story to relate directly to the series. Um, you know, you know, after having spoken with Chris Carter about the novel, about you know, when I pitched it, mm -hmm. um, I you know, I wanted it to be accepted as canon. You know, and when Chris read my outline and uh, then eventually the book, you know, he accepted this is actually Scully's story. Oh, excellent. Officially mm -hmm. canon now. So this is how it happened. And, you know, the, um, the red haired guy that's in the story was, was in the, in the show. Mm -hmm. um, there, so a this ties into the early forms of, of the syndicate that under yes. the show. And I wanted it to be as realistic as that. So, it isn't, I mean, it's written technically as a, as a young adult novel. Mm -hmm. I wrote it for X-Files fans. Yep. And also to try to bring new readers, younger readers into the X-Files who, who maybe grew up after the show was off the air. Yeah, I, I would say it, it succeeded, even though, like you said, you wrote it as a young adult novel, but I, as a full grown man, thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, I want to back up a little bit. How did that novel come to be? Did you have... 
were the anthologies for, I didn't, I yeah, forgive all, me. I forgot to look up the publication dates on all these things. Uh, okay. I had a t Yeah. So here's how it started. So I was having lunch with uh, Ted Adams, who was the, at the time, uh, CEO of IDW comics mm -hmm. and the X-Files comics. Yep. But they were all, they were also where the V Wars comics were published. So yes. you know, we, we were, we were talking and um, he asked me if I'd ever be interested in, you know, writing an X-Files comic. And I said, I love the X-Files comics, but I think Joe Harris is doing such a great job on them that, you know, I, I wouldn't want to come in and, and nudge him out of the way because, you know, Joe's do, fantastic. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, what, you know, what, how big of X-Files fan are you? So I started geeking out and giving him my, my backstory in X-Files. He said, well, uh, what would you like to do? And I said, I, personally, I'd love to edit an X-Files anthology. And he said, I wonder if we could get approval for that. So he just called Chris Carter. Mm -hmm. you know, and we're sitting there in a restaurant. And, and I'm thinking, okay, this is happening. He's calling Chris Carter right now. <laughs> and we're all, we got on the phone. And, and I, I told Chris that I'd like to do this. And he's like, well, and mind you, this is before the show was rebooted. Sure. Right? He's like, nobody remembers the X-Files anymore. And I'm like, dude, everybody remembers the X-Files. Like, everybody. Mm -hmm. And he, for him, it was, it was yesterday's news. And I'm like, dude, like everyone remembers it. And he said, yeah, but you're not going to attract anyone to, to write stories. And I, I said, I can guarantee you, I'll get some New York Times bestsellers. Um, and he's like, well, if you can get enough names, we'll have a conversation. So I got home, I spent 45 minutes sending emails out. Mm -hmm. And I got um, enough people writing back saying yes to fill three anthologies. Mm -hmm. So we got him on the phone again, and I start reading the names to him. And he's like, holy <laughs> shit. How to, really? And I'm like, yeah, these people are like, I want to drop everything and write this story. Mm -hmm. And I said, but, you know, and he said, okay, well, we can, we can do some anthologies. So we got, he, he said, we can do three. And I said, well, here's the thing is I would only want to do them if the stories, if, if I made sure the stories were set between existing episodes, mm -hmm. I would want your approval for those also to be official canon. Because I don't like doing anthologies in, in, in somebody's world where they're just, you know, alternate history stories. Sure. And he said, you know, of course, I'll have to read the pitches and read the stories. And, he, and then eventually he did. He read all the pitches and he read the stories. And he said, these are official X-Files stories because we had to work them very carefully to fit into the chronology. Yeah, I noticed that most of them do start uh, with disclaimers. This one is, takes place, you know, somewhere... You yeah, know, between this one or between this season and this season or, or things like that. So And it was a little finicky to do that because I mean we're we are writing stories set in the in the late nineties, early two thousands. So mm -hmm. the cell phones were different and, and the uh, the net was much different back then. So we had to we had to change a lot of things. Um and then of course Fox, uh who holds the license, came in and, and you know, tried to impose a lot of things and mm -hmm. like if 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 Mulder's drinking a Coke, we can't call it a Coke. We had to call it a cola. Oh, mm -hmm. is, they're afraid that if the book comes out, if Coca-Cola was not advertising on their TV stations at the time and Pepsi was, it would cause an issue. I'm like, really? That's that's gonna that's gonna bother you? <laughs> but we, those, we, yeah, those those minor uh, contract details and advertising. Yeah, I okay, yeah, I can see that. It's, it's annoying, but I can see it. <laughs> so we put the books out. They, you know, they sold out immediately, which was great. Uh, they reprinted them, of course. It's been in multiple printings since. Mm -hmm. And um, the audio books were done by uh, uh, Bronson Pinchot. Yep, I I have I have all three of them on audiobook. Yep, uh, they're they're great. There's Bronson Pinchot and Huber. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And Bronson won Audiobook Reader of the Year mm -hmm. for the Anthology. He does a reading of that book where you just so believe he is Fox. I mean, he's not David Duchovny, obviously, but you just believe he is that character. That yeah. character. There it, is it one. Failed if he had tried to be Duchovny. It oh, sure. Yeah. There is and... one thing about those audiobooks, though, <laughs> and I know this isn't your thing. They pronounce Frohickey wrong. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, actually I, heard, I actually heard from the actor. He's like, dude, that's how Frohickey's pronounced. I'm like, all right. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's a thing, but every time I listen to them, and I've listened to them a couple times because I, I have a job where I can listen to audiobooks, And once in a while, I'll be like, ah, I just feel like listening to some X-Files today. And I'll, I'll turn them on and I'll be like, 
I'm really surprised. It's, it's just one of those things that surprises me every time. I'm like, I'm surprised nobody caught that sooner. <laughs> yeah, me too. And actually, um, there, we had at one point, we're hoping to get um, to Coveney and Jillian Anderson to read the books. Mm-hmm. But they were, she was busy filming this show in Ireland, a murder mystery show in Ireland. Oh, and The Fall? The Fall, yeah. She was oh, busy. it's a really good show. <laughs> I know, I love the show. And he was, he was doing something else. So they couldn't, they couldn't, he didn't want to do it without her. Mm-hmm. So we just went with, and Bronson Pinchot and Hillary Huber are great. Yes, so. they are. I, I really love all three of those audiobooks. Like I said, I, I revisit them from time to time just because I'll, I'll feel, I'll be at work and I'll feel like some X-Files. So I'll turn them on. And uh, yeah. And, and it was fun also working with, you know, I, I get to handpick the writers. I, uh, I use those. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Kevin Anderson was one of the, I think the first person I, I contacted. Mm-hmm. His first X-Files novel was actually released before the first episode of the show. He had not actually yep. seen the show yet. Really? I, I have all had those novels. Set up mm-hmm. to be able to write his first novel. Became a number one international bestseller. Oh, I didn't realize it was that that popular because I have all those novels. Yeah. And so I just, uh, but I have uh, old used copies I got off Amazon or eBay or something like that. Yeah, so. <laughs> good i mean they're yeah. not exactly the decovney uh, jillian anderson versions because he hadn't they there's mm-hmm. a thing this is called media tie-in writing when you yes. write another world and i'm actually now the president of the media tie-in association which is kind of funny mm-hmm. but um one thing about media tie-in if you're doing like a novelization like my first media tie-in thing was a novelization of the movie the wolfman yes you don't we don't get to see the movie we oh, get okay. to see the script mm-hmm. and maybe a couple production stills and that's it we have no idea how the actors act the characters. Mm-hmm. So we have to make it. That's why sometimes the book's different from the, the movie or TV show, because we haven't seen that version of it. Right. But right. Um, uh, both Kevin Anderson and also Charles Grant, who did some of the early X-Files novels, really studied what, what's called the series Bible. A series Bible, um, for anyone listening who doesn't know what it is, mm-hmm. is a document created for the writers of the show so that they can stay uh, consistent. They know yep. what's what, what plot you know, goes where, the character evolutions and so on. And so they had that to work from, but they didn't have the actual performances, but they did a great job of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that is one of the things, um, even that you managed in... Um, devil's advocate that i thought was interesting was you it's very much scully even though you are writing a teenaged version which is always interesting because i was i was listening to it um again at work and i was singing to myself like boy would i was i this recognizable as myself and some people maybe are i can't you know i have a hard time remembering but it's just like it, to me it was like this magic trick where you're like yes this is obviously a teenage girl this is obviously but it is also still obviously this person so i was yeah, it, it, it's a writing challenge to do that too mm-hmm. um, I, I tap a little bit into my own history because i remember you know quite a bit high school was a very important era for me it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of when i came out of my shell um, so I remember who I was and how I thought about things as a teenager. And some of those, those thoughts and values are still echoed in, in my 62-year-old brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm also friends with, with some of the girls I knew in high school. Um, and actually, a couple of them appear as the cheerleaders in, in the novel. Oh, and has it, are actually two cheerleader friends of mine from high school, two of my closest friends in high school. Okay. So I'm okay. going to throw them in there for fun. Uh, but their personalities are pretty close now to who they were back then. So I use those as kind of a template for shaping that comparison with Scully. There are things that were defined in the high school years, but there are also things that she left behind in the high school years. So okay. I, it was a balance to, to make sure that, that we had both of those in there and also to deepen the, the relationship with her sister and to explore mm-hmm. why she loved her father so much and um, now, of course, in, in my story, I made her father a little more tied into the syndicate, but yes, you know, that was part of gave me a nod for that. He said, that's okay to do. Okay. Well, good. Cause I, that was something I was going to ask you about in terms of, cause obviously her father wasn't a, a character who featured heavily in the show as a character. She talked about him a little bit and he had a couple appearances. So when you were sitting down and you're like, okay, this is a, a person that Dana very much loved, but you kind of also write him as a little bit of a, a harder person. He argues with, with 
Dana's mother a lot. He he's kind of uh, a more in, a more authoritarian figure, which I suppose could tie into the fact that he's in the Navy. Yeah. But I'm wondering how you you went about going. Okay, this character who was not super developed in the source material, I have to decide how he's going to be. How did you? come to the conclusion that this was kind of who he had to be as a person. Oh, I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but the actor who played her father in the mm -hmm. show, um, I've seen him in a bunch of other things, uh, Twin Peaks and other things. He's such yeah. a really good actor. And even when he plays a hard ass, there's an edge of vulnerability in it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I wanted to play in that. And also, um, they, they indicate late, much later in the series, I forget which episode it is, they, they kind of indicate that the syndicates had its eye on her for a while. Yes, because um, that was something you did bring in your novel because they, she and Mulder find vaccination records and right. she's in the, in the vaccine. That may even be in the movie. Um, yeah, and I, I, it might be in the first movie. Um, yes. That's be, be, because of, of the fact that there's that hint that, that they had an eye on her and her father's in the military, it just seemed like that that's a really good doorway. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to make him a villain. I wanted to make him more like under the thumb of. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, that came across. I um yeah, I don't think so, he was a villain. I just think he <laughs> Well, I mean he you know he's he's in a bad situation, but also I wanted to play in the vulnerability because usually if somebody's that much of a hard ass, mm -hmm. it's because they're trying to protect something. It's armor over over a perceived weakness, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I didn't want to ever have a two-dimensional character. Like, I, we've seen the hard-ass father. We've seen, you know, the the, uh, the broken marriage. But there's always something more to that story. And the fun in writing this stuff is to go deeper and find the subtleties of it, to make it mm -hmm. as believable a family dynamic as possible, rather than the cliched, you know, TV movie family dy dynamic. So um, I, yeah. I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, and... Absolutely, it comes across that way. And there are some, obviously, of the, the moments that you do realize this is why she loves him. And he is very protective of her. And when, it, it, when all the syndicate stuff started to come in, that was really, to me, I was like, oh, this is real. And I, I may have known ahead of time, I may have read that it was like actually considered Scully's official backstory via Chris Carter, but I, I can't remember if I knew that or not. So... Um, <laughs> Now, that I, yeah. now, now, by the way, the way the book, the novel got ha happened is after we had done the anthologies um, and one of the, I think the, one of the last calls I had with uh, Chris Carter, I, I was saying, I, I asked him quite frankly, I said, how come you guys never explored the ESP thing with Scully? Never, 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 you know, or, or ever told why she became a skeptic. He said, we never came up with the right story for it in the show. It mm -hmm. just never, it never gelled with ideas were thrown around. I said, well, I got, I got, can I just throw something out how I would have done it? Mm -hmm. And um, he said, yeah, sure. So I hit him with, with my, my idea and he's like, that's, that really works. And I said, yeah, I'd like to love to pitch that as a novel. Would I have your blessing? And he's like, yes. And it's like, oh shit. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I, I, I contacted Cami Garcia, who is a really good friend of mine and, and who had written a really, really good X-Files young Mulder story called Black Hole Sun um, mm. in uh, was it the first or second anthology. Let me take a quick uh, look. Yeah, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head which one that was in either. I think it was the, sec I think it was the second one. Uh, tr trust no one. But um, she's, uh, you know, she did such a great job. And at one point I had, I had wanted to uh, e even do a, an X-Files anthology of young Mulder and Scully stories, not together, yeah, it was, it was in there. Truth is out there. Truth is out there. Yep. Um, not together because they didn't meet until the first episode, but stories right. where the both of them were involved. Mm -hmm. And Carter wasn't as, as excited about that. He said he didn't think a whole anthology of young Mulder stories was going to float. Um, and he says his, his, his hesitancy was that um, the younger generation simply don't know the X-Files, mm -hmm. which I, I disagree with. I mean, a lot of them don't, but a lot of them did. Yeah, too. I think, uh, yeah, I guess... It, when uh I'm trying to remember when the first time the x-files hit netflix was and it had a big resurgence and i feel like if that was around the same time as your novel it was a little it was a, around the time of the anthologies because it was just when they were start getting um mm -hmm. mentioning that the, the the show was about to come on and the mm -hmm. anthology was already out by that point okay yep yep 
Um, and by the way, I, I, at one point I got an email um, from uh, Chris Carter's assistant saying, uh, there's going to be X-Files news soon. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Chris said, you may be a prophet. I'm like, because I, I kept saying the show should come back. Yes. And, yep. I you, it's not because of me that it came back. Sure. You just, <laughs> you but, were the one saying, come on, bring it back. <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, it, it proved that there was enough interest, you know? So, yes. And um, I'm a little disappointed that they tried to retcon a lot of stuff when they brought it back, tried to change it as aliens and made it more government conspiracy. Mm -hmm. That I wasn't as fond of because I, I liked the alien story. Yes. And clearly there were aliens in the, in the show. Mm -hmm. um, but it did. It's one of those things where after uh, probably season six, it started to just not know if it wanted to keep messing with aliens or be more about the, the government conspiracy. And then, yes, by the, you're right. By the time it came back for season 10, which may or may not have had a lot to, well, I assume it probably had a lot more to do with trying to reflect more recent conspiracy theories, which do tend to heavily revolve around oh, yeah. government rather than, you know, it's reflecting more modern sensibilities, I suppose, but. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, it, you know, it was, uh, um, it, it was a creative choice that they, I guess they thought was going to keep it fresh and contemporary, but uh, it's the one thing that I, you know, the main thing I didn't like about the reboot of it, the relaunch of it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the show, you know, there, there's much more good than bad in that show. There's, there's so much, so much to love in the show that if they made a misstep here and there. Who cares? You know, sure. It's, uh, the, the first season I, uh, as we, we were going through this show, uh, my my co-host Justin was kind of struggling a lot through the first season. And I was like, he's like, yeah, there's some, there's some really good ones here and I'm going to keep going. And I'm like, don't worry. It does have a little bit of first season-itis, especially from back in the 90s when first season, well, not first season, when all seasons were like 24 episodes long, which is actually a lot of TV and <laughs> does lend itself to having some misses in there when you've got to yeah. fill 24 hours of television. <laughs> the Jersey Devil episode being an example. Yes. Anything about doing research. And yeah. another one I, I did when we're talking about um, just the way they played with legends, uh, there's the episode, and again, I'm blanking on the title, but it is the one where Mulder is convinced there's this lake monster and they go through the whole episode convinced there's a lake monster and it turns out there isn't one quote unquote and then as soon as they leave you get the one they're, shot of the lake monster at the yeah. end and it's after Mulder's back is turned which I kind of like because in that that in one case Mulder finally is not that was that was the one about big blue right lake yes o o o yep. um yeah that, that that was that was based on the Lake Champlain monster yep I uh I'm, I'm a Vermonter I'm very familiar oh, okay. with uh <laughs> champ so yeah. champy yeah um yep. so um so but there were some good moments in that one too. It was, it was yes, fun when they yeah. thought they were lost on an island. Turns out that they were just a few feet from land and yeah, you know, there were some good moments to it. Yes. Um, but uh, there were more strong episodes than not in that season. I mean, Tombs, you know, was, yes, was absolutely. Squeeze those two were were amazing. Tombs and Squeeze were excellent. And now we are getting into the realm. Of, like I said, we just did one breath. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to stuff like. Uh, Clyde Bruckman's final repose and um, all of um, Jose Chung's from outer space, which there's uh, a reason why that's on everybody's top 10 list. Yes. It, it, there's a, a word, there's a phrase for that kind of storytelling. And I always forget what it is, but it is a very classic TV trope that I always like to see where you just see things from, everybody's point of view and that is one of those episodes that just yeah. kind of amps that up to like here's jesse the body ventura <laughs> just yeah. barging in as this man in black <laughs> it's kind of kind of a rashomon sort of setup where yes you know, that's the word thank you and each each person is a bit of an unreliable narrator because it's skewed through their mm -hmm. personal viewpoint and their own agenda so it, it makes it a little different um but yeah that that, that was it wasn't alex trebek in that one too I believe he's another one of them. I think it's Alex Trebek and, Al and uh, Jesse Ventura that are the men in black. Yeah. Which, is, which is such a bizarre combination. 
uh, yes and i think it's uh, they may even call it out in the episode that it is specifically it's like the it's these two people because who's gonna believe you if you yeah. say alex trebek <laughs> and jesse ventura barged into your house and told you not to talk about it <laughs> that uh, one they, in, they did some other great stuff like uh it, of course it's much later on down it's uh, in the sixth season or seventh sixth season is um x-cops where it's like oh, the, yeah, the yeah, x-files yeah. cops crossover and it's like that, that was hilarious what a clever kind of just conceit where it's like you think all of a sudden you're you, you tune in for the x-files and there cops is on and then oh no wait it's x-files it's actually x-files so. uh, one of the things i also loved about the show is is their ability to suddenly go into complete goofy humor mm-hmm um, you know, uh, was was it Bad Blood? Was the one with the the town full of vampires? Um, yes. Yeah. Um, with with um, the kid, the the kid from the Sandlot as the young vampire, the guy that yeah. plays. Uh, I can't think of the actor's name. I always just call him Ham because he was Ham in the Sandlot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Luke Wilson, who was the cop. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wilson's brother. But there were a bunch. The Christmas episode was was the go Christmas Ghost Story one was with funny. Ed Asner, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> there, there are, I mean, a show that can pivot going from scary and, dra mm -hmm. and dramatic to, to comedy and then back again, is, that, that took a lot. You know? And they were really good. And I, I, I'm a big fan of dry humor. I don't, it's just part of my sense. So a lot of the writers with Mulder gave him just that deadpan dry. And it, to me, it's laugh out loud funny, even though to yeah. a lot of people, they're like, ah, it's dry. But just my sense of humor, he can just drop some of those really dry one-liners. Uh, there's an episode where uh, Scully finds him in jail and he says, did you bring, you know, he's just like, oh, good. Did you bring breakfast? <laughs> like so, stuff like that. It's just yeah, it's his, the company completely had unfazed. He had great delivery. On that mm -hmm. show. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, it, what a what an incredible supporting cast all the way through it. Yes, um, uh, it's it, 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 I love the show. I really do. I've, I've been met a few actors over the years, um, and uh, mm -hmm. they're really sweet folks. You know, so yes. it's it's a lot of fun. I've been um, recently on on this podcast talking about uh, a lot about and singing the praises of uh, Walter Skinner, who of course was. Oh, yeah. um, Mitch Pileggi and I call him the incredible unage, unaging man because you look at Mitch Pileggi now and then you go back and watch those old episodes of the X-Files you're like I think the only difference in Miss Mitch Pileggi now is that he grew facial hair yeah, <laughs> he sports and, a beard and, now <laughs> and, and the facial hair shows a little bit of his age and the, the color of it but the guy's still buff and he you know I, there's a legion of women who are still in love with him yes and um, he he's another aspect of the show that I'm like he was cut and after he gets introduced and they start to developing his character i'm like what a hidden gem in this program that they they kind of just kept mining and mining and mining and finding more and more interesting things to do with walter skinner yeah, yeah he and he became a, a you know really hit the scene where he he goes rough on uh what's his name um the fight in the hallway with uh, X. X? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a great scene. And also yes. with him and um, Ratboy. Um, when, when Rat, uh, what's his name? Um, Nicholas Lay's character. Um, oh, oh, yes. Um, I'm totally... Krychek. Alex Krychek. Yeah, yeah uh, they had some great scenes and some rough scenes together. So th yes. there, there, was, there was some... Uh, there, there was a lot in that show. Yeah. And of course... You know, uh, my wife and everyone else was really happy in that scene where he's he's walking around in tidy whiteies. Like, oh, <laughs> yes. settle, settle. I mean, granted, yeah. that was just as exploitive as having having Scully in her underwear in episode two or three. Well, and and they they did the same thing. We had a good laugh about it on this show because we literally just couldn't believe it happened. There's an episode where Mulder is in the pool and he's wearing a speedo and he gets oh, out yeah. and it's like that and he's very clearly on display and i'm like oh, yeah, holy yeah. moly this was mid 90s network yeah. television and he's <laughs> just <laughs> yeah I, I would love to have seen what x files would have been had it been on hbo or showtime or you know uh, i i don't know i would, would agree have it, maybe it wouldn't have been as good sure it, it would have been more exploited um but 
it would have, the show would have done better. Um, I mean, they, they, they tried doing the short seasons when they brought back for 10 and 11. Mm -hmm. um, wasn't their strongest writing all the time. Some of the episodes were great. Sure. Yep. But if it had launched today with mm -hmm. short seasons, mm -hmm. we'd have seen a, a, a more consistent high quality because they could have picked, uh, picked and chose uh, the best episodes mm -hmm. from season one to make an incredible, unbreakable season one if it had been like 10 episodes yes. long. Now, I, since we're talking about the longer seasons and everything and you being right, one of the things I've found personally is uh, I feel like the conspiracy is almost harder for them to hold together and make coherent because the show ended up being so long. Do you think they that did not have a plan for it? That's for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. I was, cause it, I was wondering if it launched today, would do you think it would be like, okay, here is what we can do with this. Because as the show goes on, I actually think the conspiracy ends up being the lesser interesting part of the show because I just lose track of all the moving parts. Like, for example, if, if they had done a 10-episode season now, you know, of, of the first season these days, uh, you would have had the, this, the same pilot. You would have had maybe one episode in the middle where there's conspiracy and the Erlenmeyer flask, which is still one of the best. Oh, it's such a good endings yes. ever. Yep. If they had parsed out, if they had planned for a long game mm -hmm. and parsed out uh, the conspiracy, it would have lasted longer before the big reveals. But they started playing to the audience who liked the conspiracy by giving us more and more of it. And then they went up becoming top heavy with backstory. They, you know, they, they answered all the questions mm -hmm. and they killed the syndicate and there was a new group, you know, but if they planned a longer game, if they had known, uh, they would never, they, there's no way they would have assumed 11 seasons. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, if they had planned for five, if they, if their original game plan had been for five, they, they could have been a little less mm -hmm. uh, explicit about the syndicate and, made it more of an enduring mystery that we had to watch and wait for that next little tiny clue mm -hmm. rather than big two or three episode arcs where we got a lot of, of uh, information about that. But I do love yep. the monster episodes. They're my favorites. The standalones are my favorites. Yes, uh, absolutely. If I was sitting and thinking about most of my favorite episodes, I would agree. Yeah, standalone episodes, uh, things like well, I just said Jose Chung's from Outer Space, Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, uh, Home is... Uh, which is another interesting thing. Home is a episode that is is kind of in the lane you were talking about early on in the show, where it's like there's no supernatural explanation here. This is just a a bizarre, isolated, inbred family of of killer, almost Texas Chainsaw Massacre style. And I'm surprised that episode made it on the regular television. Yes. That was mm -hmm. rough. That was a rough episode. It yeah. is. It is. I, I rewatched it recently and I, I had the same thought. I was like, oh, uh, it's, it's by today's standards, it's not the most jarring, explicit thing in the world, but thematically oh, it is. Oh, by 1998 standards. Yes. Like by, yeah. And, and just even thematically, it is just a, yeah. a rough go. Um, there, there are some of the other individual or standalone episodes I've really enjoyed um, in, in the field where I died, uh, uh, which yep. doesn't get a lot of love, but I thought it was a really good, well-written episode, well-acted mm -hmm. episode. Um, the the one with the uh, uh, the fluke. Oh, yeah. yep the the fluke man. Yep. Yeah, I love love that one. That was really a good episode. Yep. Uh, the tombs ones. The um, oh man, there's, there's there's a whole bunch of them that I that, that just stand so well to get you know on their own, mm -hmm. and um, you know you could almost excise the all of the conspiracy stuff and just show those and, and still stands up as one of the great horror shows of all time. Yes, absolutely. And uh, on the conspiracy side did create, and I, I talk about this guy did also create one of my favorite villains in all of fiction in the smoking man who is oh, just, yeah. you want to talk about favorite episodes is um, musings of a cigarette smoking man. Oh yeah. That's classic with uh, <laughs> where by the end, you don't know if, if you really watched the the smoking man's backstory or if you just watched this exaggerated tale that the lone gunmen are weaving. <laughs> yeah. It's another example of an uh, unreliable narrator, which is yes. a great concept to play with. Um, but yeah, there, there, I mean, there's a lot. And I love the first X-Files movie. Um, mm -hmm. Second one, 
would have been a better episode than a movie. Yeah, I was surprised I the they, they didn't ages. go more science fiction-y in the second one. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's, I think yeah, that's a monster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that prevented there being a third. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There would have been a third had that one done better. Uh, great cast, mm -hmm. but they tried to shoot an episode of the show essentially as a two hour movie. And if they had gone more science fiction y, it would have been a much bigger hit. But yeah. overall, you know, I, I would, it's one of those shows that, you know, I, I own the whole whole series on iTunes. I watch them occasionally. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I go in marathons. We'll do a couple seasons in a row, and I'm probably always going to do that. You know, it's always yeah. going to be a show that I go back to. My and it's weird. One of my favorite episodes is one where I wish they had done it either as a film or as a two-parter, and it's Darkness Falls, because I yep. know they had planned to do it as a two-parter. Yes, but they were talked out of it by the by the uh, network. And. Uh... I believe they had a lot of uh, filming problems with that episode too, because we covered that one already here on the show and getting way out into the woods and everything proved to be a, a big problem at the time for them. Yeah. And it's a shame too, because I thought that was creepy as hell. It's, I, I have a, I have a bug thing in real life anyway. So an episode where the entire plot is here's this mysterious swarm of bugs that is just, it worked on that level for me. <laughs> yeah, it needed better special effects, but they didn't have the budget for it. Sure. Um, and if it had been in season three or four, they would have had the budget for it. Yep. You know, but uh, but also, you know, I've camped in those woods. And uh, at night, it is real damn dark and you're real damn far away from everything. And mm -hmm. cell, cell services, it's not worth a damn. So um, once night falls, it is, it is scary and creepy out there. Yeah. That's up in, uh, Pacific Northwest, right? Up in Northwest, Washington yeah. state. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, I'm not the most outdoorsy person in the world. I, I like nature from a, a, a distance. So the idea of being out in those woods at night is also working on me very well in that episode. Yeah. I used to, I used to camp a lot when I was younger, but now my idea of, of, getting into nature is watching something on the history channel or national geographic there you go that, Perfect. that's my idea of nature these but when i was younger i used to i used to hitchhike all across country and camp everywhere and spent yeah. a lot actually worked for a few few weeks at a logging camp in washington state at, okay. when I was 19. and um I, so i they, they did a good job even though of course when it, it was shot in vancouver not in in washington oh yes yep but it, it, the forest is very similar you know because mm -hmm. not that far from vancouver to washington state right yeah and that that was the other thing is a lot of the x-files a lot of the states look an awful lot like canada <laughs> yeah it's amazing how much how much um new jersey looks like vancouver in the in the jersey devil episodes like uh-huh none yeah. of those are new jersey it's yeah uh, and i, I go I, with I, it i have a buddy um who's on a who had a show called psych i don't know if you remember that show i do yep uh well james Rode is a star of it's a buddy of mine and you know it, the show was supposed to be set in santa barbara but mm -hmm. it was shot in vancouver <laughs> santa barbara is southern california yes you know it's palm trees and it's <laughs> succulents and you got these lush deciduous forests in in in, in in the show, I'm like, dude, that's not even close. Or they're on the beach and they're, you know, you can see their breath because yeah. it's so cold and shooting. It's like, yes. Oh, you know, but, but they did a good job with X-Files. You know, I, I, yes. I really loved it. I agree. Well, I'm not going to keep you all afternoon talking about this stuff, but I, I, I want to uh, just throw out just in case I don't think we mentioned the titles of the, we mentioned the title of the novel is X-Files Origins Devil's Advocate, but uh, the, anthologies are the x-files trust no one the x-files the truth is out there and the x-files secret agendas yep. and is there anything else you want to go out uh, go ahead out on a limb and tell folks to uh check you out at besides all the books i listed that i highly recommend everybody read as soon as you possible know, when you were reading that list and thinking oh he missed a couple i Only did i did I, I keep throwing new stuff like like the, the rotten ruin series book seven comes out in uh in november okay because i have um i have four of the novels and then i have uh bits and pieces is a, a short story collection yeah. correct? And, and broken lands picks up a year later okay uh, after fire and ash and then uh, lost roads comes out uh and kind of wraps that storyline and that's actually in development for film right now and i'll come nice i can't give the name but one of the sure. big marvel screenwriters is writing our script oh cool so i'm pretty excited and um uh also i've got uh, uh 
couple other projects that are, that are kind of heating up in Hollywood right now, you know, something cool. based on one of my anthologies. We're actually pitching that next week to studio execs as a TV show and uh, a bunch of other stuff is, is, is heating up nicely. Um, but if anyone wants to you know, find out what I write or just kind of come and hang out online, jonathanmayberry.com. And mm -hmm. it's, the trick is to spell my last name right because most people don't. It's yeah. M-A-B-E-R-R-Y. So if they go to jonathanmayberry.com, there's links to my social media. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. Yep. I didn't and, even get to mention, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, I don't, I was looking at all the things you do and I'm like, I don't know how he has time to sleep, eat, walk his dog or talk to his wife with all these, because you also are, you have online courses in writing and you have. Yeah. And, and also I write comics too. And you write uh, comics. Yes. I write a lot of comics. I'm writing something for DC right now. Um, and uh, I've done, I worked for Marvel for years yep. doing Black Panther and, and Punisher and Wolverine. So I, I've got a weirdly big body of work this last 14 years. Mm -hmm. uh, it comes from having been trained as a journalist. I was trained to, to write fast, mm -hmm. write fast, research fast, revive fast, and move on. Yep. Makes so sense. this year, you know, this year, for example, I'm writing three novels, mm -hmm. four novellas, eight short stories, and two graphic novels. Wow. Wow. But I still work till five o'clock and then, you know, I'm done for and the then day. You're done for the day. Oh, awesome. Boy, I want to pick your brain about all this other stuff that you do. I really do. Invite but yeah, you know, if you're to invite me back, you know. I have a second show that is more broadly pop culture. So I will I will invite you to come over to that program and I will pick your brain about all that other stuff. And uh, well, also one thing for the listeners, if anyone anyone out there listening is a writer. Um, if you go to my web, web page, there's a sub page called free stuff for writers. Mm -hmm. It has um, notes on how to outline a book or how to structure it, uh, formatting, okay. fight scenes. There's even a comic book script up there. So oh, all right. I'm, I'm going to check that stuff out. I, my background, I, I did major, I have a BA in creative writing. Uh, but unfortunately, but unfortunately, in the the world of having to survive and pay my rent and then eventually my mortgage, I had to get a real job. And I kind of unfortunately set writing to the side for a little bit. But lately, I've been getting back into being more creative. I suppressed the urge long enough, and I'm getting back into well, being more creative. And <laughs> but that but that happens. I mean, you know, I, I I was a part time nonfiction writer for most of my career, but my day jobs, I was a bodyguard, bouncer, mm -hmm. a jiu-jitsu master. Um, you know, I did all, all that stuff as my day job because that's what paid the bills. Yep. I didn't become a full time writer until I was 48. Yeah. And that's the Ghost Red Blues came out. That, that's super inspired. I didn't real, I, I had been reading your novels and everything, but I, it didn't, I didn't realize until I read the foreword to to that edition of Ghost Road Blues that you didn't become a writer or a full-time writer until so late in your career. And I'm like, oh, now I'm, I'm even more inspired because to keep dabbling in all this creative stuff, I kind of put to the side for a few minutes to, to pay my bills. So. Well, writing is, is waiting for you whenever you get back to it, man. Yes. You know, because it's, people are always going to want to read. Like right now during the pandemic, people are in isolation. What are they doing? They're watching TV and they're reading. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, and sometimes having lived a while and experienced life and so on informs your writing so that when you do get to it, you've mm -hmm. got a, a deeper body of work and a deeper understanding, uh, a deeper body of experience, rather, mm -hmm. deeper understanding of life so that when you start writing, um, it, it's richer, it's deeper. So, yeah, I, you know. I opened a, uh, a book we've now gone totally off track, but that's okay. I did open a novel that I started writing, uh, few years after college recently and I went oh this is somebody who didn't know shit about shit and was very angry and was definitely not who I am today this is this goes in the delete bin <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah but at the same time you know you now have the 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 perspective to see that yep so that's that's a measure of distance traveled and this, right. this is actually something that that uh um I talk about a lot with writer friends and I've actually had a conversation with Chris Carter about because, mm -hmm. you know, he had an idea for the X-Files. He actually wanted to do a, a, a Kolchak show, Carl Kolchak show. Oh, that would be cool. He wanted to reboot that. And he couldn't get the license for it. Uh, and the pilot scripts, he, you know, he pitched for it were not good. And mm -hmm. then he, he came up with the idea for X-Files. So it, mm -hmm. even he had to wait till it cooked enough. Yep. And then he found the right doorway in, and then the X-Files became this massive hit. More people know the X-Files than know Kolchak now. That's true. Although, boy, I, now that you meant, I 
be interested to see what he would do with, I mean, he did X-Files, but just take that character and jigger that around a little bit. That'd be kind of interesting. I, I would, I would be all over that. I would so love him to do that because yeah. he had, I mean, he nailed that voice. And that one episode in season 10, um, there was a character that was kind of based on Carl Kolchak, even dressed like him. Mm -hmm. um, yep, you know, that's true. It's the, the one where... The lizard man, you know. Yep, the, the lizard man one. Yeah, that's, yep. That's that was, one of the best episodes of the series, and that's in season 10. But that, yeah. boy, that was a good episode. But that's it. That was his direct homage to Carl Kolchak. So mm -hmm. he, it even took Chris Carter all that time to get ready to write that. So, yep. you know, sometimes it just needs to cook, man. Yes. You know? yep. Now, is, is IDW, uh, I don't know that is idw done with the property do they not have the license to do more books or stuff i think like they still have the comic license um, okay as far as the books i mean the novel was published actually by an imprint of macmillan um mm -hmm. the anthology published by idw but they used to have a a prose line not a comics line they used to have a, a side prose line but they don't have that anymore so okay. they're not doing those types of books anymore if i were to do more x-files anthologies and i may mm -hmm. i would probably do it with titan books because okay. um, Titan ha has the uh, the prose license, the the, the, mm -hmm. the print license for it, so well, I would probably you know go do it with them. And I, it's something Steve Saffold and Titan and I have talked about a number of times because mm -hmm. uh, we really think there would be. Uh, I mean, I know I could get some top writers again. You've you've done do it three writers. times so far. <laughs> for three, and there's a whole new crop of bestsellers out there who'd be. And I'd also like yes. to do one with a a greater degree of, of racial and gender diversity. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we have a good gender diversity in, in uh, the X-Files anthologies. Yes. But it, there was enough racial, racial diversity in the people that I knew who were X-Files fans. Mm -hmm. So many more people rewatched the show since they, they launched 10 and 11. Yes. So I can, I can find a lot more of my friends now you know, of different racial backgrounds, different national backgrounds. Who are familiar with the- X-Files fans. And that would allow me to do a much more contemporary version of X-Files. Oh, I'll be over here pulling for that one, keeping my fingers crossed. Because I, I would say there's probably a 75% chance it's going to happen. All right. Very good. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for being here. And like I said, I, I will be emailing you in the future. Uh, I got to go through a couple more of your books. My friend Jenny keeps telling me I need to get to Kill Switch before I, in the Joe Ledger series before I am 100% ready to discuss knowledgeably enough the Joel Edger. I'm almost there. I, I think the next very, one I'm going to read is Code Zero. So, it, it, and it, Yeah, Code Zero is actually, it's funny because Code Zero was, it's the sixth book in the series was also a, a sequel to the first it's book. A direct sequel to, yep. Um, but also uh, for those, those folks who have ever been to say Dragon Con Atlanta where we often have a big X-Files presence there, mm -hmm. part of that book takes place at Dragon Con. Ooh. Fun. And, um, which is funny because that's also where I launched all of all four of my X-Files books were launched at Dragon Con. Really? Yeah. We had Ooh. big panels with, with the writers and everything else. Uh, the, the Dragon Con crowd loves some X-Files. Back around season 10, there was a, a convention in Montreal and almost every, I think the only person that wasn't there, they had, I think Duchovny was there, Pelleggi was there. Uh, William B. Davis was going to be, I think the only one not there at the time was Jillian Anderson. And I actually didn't make it to, the, I, I tried like hell, but I, I couldn't get the, the time to go. But um, I, I, that might've been when she was filming her run on Hannibal. That may have been, I think, yes. Cause Hannibal was also going. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's, she's pretty busy, but yeah. uh, I've met her a couple of times and she's, she's wonderful. She she's, seems like she's very yeah. lovely. Yes. I <laughs> talk about it on this show. I, I love her. I think she's, I, cause I've seen lots of things she's been in and I love her as Scully and I love her as pretty much everything else I've seen. She's delightful <laughs> as one an actor. Things, one of the things I love about her, both her and Duchovny is in real life, they are the exact opposites. She believes in everything and he doesn't believe in, in anything. Yes. I, I think, think I read hilarious. that. Yeah. That is hilarious. And she, and she was a big fan of Devil's Advocate. She read the book and that was, was great. Oh, good. We almost I've, had her the audio book, but she was not available. Uh, I've actually read two of her three novels and they're pretty good too. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
So, all right, well, this was a whole bunch of fun. Yes, thank you. And uh, once again, everybody, he's Jonathan Mayberry, New York Times bestselling author, five-time Bram Stoker Award winner, and big old X-Files fan. So thank you, Jonathan. Oh, oh, by the way, just just for the heck of it, my my iPad or my mouse pad is I I want to believe. (laughs) I mean... That that's nerd level nerd level you know five. It's up that there. is. I'm glad I didn't hit stop record before you <laughs> mentioned that because that's excellent. The FBI's Most Unwanted is a production of Two Broke Geeks Entertainment and is part of the Atomic Geekdom Network. Find the flagship Two Broke Geeks podcast wherever you download podcasts or online at twobrokegeeks.com. You can find the Atomic Geekdom Network at atomicgeekdom.com. Our artwork is by Justin Kowalski. You can find him on Twitter at J underscore Rocka. Our theme music is by Tony Longworth. You can find him on Twitter at Tony Longworth or on Facebook, Tony Longworth, Dark Composer. You can help out the podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. Thanks. Thanks.